Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your weekend is not complete without the First Lady of New York Radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to the Joan Hamburg Show. You know, if it's a Sunday, it's Joan Hamburg time, and you're all invited to join us starting at 2 o'clock. We have really interesting guests. We give you all the information you need to enjoy the great city and the surrounding areas. We tell you where to go, what to do, what to eat, and generally have a great time. And I do hope you join us Sunday because we're going to take you to the Orchid Show at the New York Botanic Gardens. Truly gorgeous. You're going to love it. And if you have to go on a weekend, wear comfortable shoes and know it's going to be a little bit crowded. We went again, actually, on a Saturday. I wanted to show people. It was just spectacular. And you can buy orchids at very good prices. It's just a great adventure. And then we went off to explore Arthur Avenue, which is one of the great Italian neighborhoods still standing intact in this city. And right around it, Belmont Avenue, full of wonderful restaurants, had a great dinner, lunch, truthfully. But it should have been dinner. We all ate so much. And it's at a restaurant called Antonio's Trattoria. And we we didn't plan to go there. It happened to have a table, and we took it. And Saturday and Sunday are big family days in these restaurants. In fact, it was packed with Tables of six, eight, ten, kids running everywhere, but we like that. And we had wonderful food. And then we walked it off a little bit by going shopping. It was a lot of fun. So we'll take you on that adventure. And then we have an old friend of mine, Ernie Anastas, who has joined WABC on the air. You can hear Ernie on Sundays at five o'clock and he does a very good show and it's all about positive thinking and it's called Positively Ernie and Patricia, you're gonna enjoy it a lot. Five o'clock on Sundays and Ernie has always been like that. He always sees the good side of people, the good side of life and it's fun to hear that and listen. And he's been a New York fixture and a broadcaster for so many years. I met Ernie years ago. We were both, Ernie was an anchor on a TV station and I was doing stories and we became friends then. Our families all knew each other and we've kept up all this time. So I was so happy to hear that he was gonna be part of the WABC family. And I know if you've never listened to Ernie before, you're going to come away feeling really good and inspired 
and maybe change your head a little bit and instead of oh no not more you will say this is a good place and we're going to make it even better so all you have to do is join us on a sunday starting at two o'clock or on facebook or on twitter we're there and we look forward to having you so don't forget that's our day starting at two o'clock and thank you so much for being part of our audience i'm joan hamburg and the joan hamburg show straight ahead starting at two The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. The other day, I took a bunch of friends and we went to the Bronx Botanic Gardens to see the Orchid Show. I had talked to you about the Orchid Show. But again, it was so beautiful. The day we went was not so beautiful. It was gray and a little drizzly. But you know what? It turned out to be a good thing because usually, it is so crowded you can't move, but no, they didn't want to go look in the rain, even though it was inside. So we went, and it was gorgeous, honestly, just beautiful. And it was such a night, it was cool and a little gray, and the trees were not yet blooming and the flower beds, but the bones of them were so spectacular in that setting. We just loved it. And then we decided, we were in the Bronx, let's go to Arthur Avenue, which is one of the great Italian neighborhoods still left in our area. And believe it or not, guys, we could not, we called every major restaurant and we couldn't get a reservation. Finally, Antonio's Trattoria at 2370 Belmont Avenue in the Bronx had a cancellation and they had a table. So we went over there. This was opened in the year 2006. Anthony Lacioni still owns it and it's open for lunch and dinner seven days a week. If you go for lunch weekdays, they have a lot of specials. And it was listed as the number one Italian restaurant in the Bronx on Yelp. So we go in, there were big family tables all over the restaurant. And it was nice. There were like eight people, 10 people, kids running all over. I loved it. And we had a wonderful table, a great waiter. And we started with the thinnest crust pizza. You could almost see through it. Truly delicious. And you could have had anything from focaccia, calzone, a roll. They have a kid's menu. You could have a classic, a parmigiana, a scarpiella, a marsala, a salt and boca, a francese, anything like that. They have specialty. They have a wonderful eggplant parmesan, a very good shrimp, scampi, salmon. You name it, they have it. And antipasto. I have to tell you that we ordered calamari, fried calamari. You know how that can sometimes be very tough and not. This was almost like tempura. You could hear the crunch halfway across the restaurant. 
and it was very delicate. They had everything we loved. They had spaghetti with meatballs or sausage. They had a spiral pasta with a fresh homemade plum tomato basil sauce with sliced prosciutto de palma. And they had pasta with broccoli, rob, garlic, and oil, and homemade sausage. Delicious food. And we ate up a storm. The portions are huge. So know that one for one, unless you have a monstrous appetite, is really to share. It's called Antonio's. We loved it. And let me give you the phone, 718-733-6630. You can spend a great day. You can then, what we did after we ate, we're such piggies and foodies that we then went to all the good stores to buy homemade bread, homemade sausage, homemade mozzarella. The problem is, guys, if you do what we did, we went on a Saturday, the line outside the stores is enormous. I wanted um, to really shop and get that delicious mozzarella and get the breads and get mortadella and all the things we love. The line was at least 20 minutes in all the different shops. Oh, and they have those rainbow cookies, which um, people are so fond of. It was a great day. We had a fun adventure. We brought home a lot of food. And in the end, we spent a fraction of what we would have spent in the middle of Manhattan. So take yourself to the Botanic Gardens. The Orchid Show is spectacular. There is a lot of walking, but benches everywhere if you have to sit. And then take yourself very nearby to a place like Antonio's Trattoria on Belmont Avenue enjoy it's almost like eating the taste of the past we were very happy people this episode is brought to you by reese's peanut butter cups in breaking news leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate however it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome, everyone, to Joan Hamburg. And your favorite radio station, WABC. Lots has been going on at ABC, including a familiar voice has come to our airwaves, the one and only Ernie Anastas. Whoa. And I'm going to let Ernie <laughs> tell you, Ernie has a show with Ernie and Patricia, and it's mm-hmm. positively Ernie and yeah. Patricia. And Ernie and I were just saying we've known each other well, we weren't kids, but we were still pretty young. The world was bright and shiny. Oh, yes. 
<laughs> yes, many ways. You know, Joan, we do go back a long way. I mean, I was anchoring the news at CBS, too, and you were doing a lot of feature reporting. Uh, we do go back a long way. I know your family, you know, uh, your husband, Skip, is a great guy. He got me interested in buying radio stations and your daughter, Liz, and John, who's a great producer, so many great films. So we are on WABC Radio, like, you know, like family here. And Patricia Stark and I have known each other for a long time. When I was doing the news at Fox 5, Patricia was coming on doing special features, and she's been an anchor at Fox News. And we just said, okay, you know what? Let's do a show together. And Patricia, we're going to have some fun. Yes, and Joan, it's so wonderful to have the chance to speak with you and meet you. Mm -hmm. I've been a, a fan for a long time. I just love your work, and it's so great to be here with you today. Well, thank you, Patricia. And let's tell the audience how you got started. Yeah, so I started uh, up in Rockland County, New York. I started for the local uh, affiliates for Cablevision in both New York, New Jersey, and then in Connecticut. And then I was also at um, WRCR and RKL back in the day mm. on radio. Wow. And then I had my own show on, on RCR in the Hudson Valley. Mm -hmm. And then, um, as Ernie mentioned, I was at Fox uh, doing um, live break-ins and different coverage over the yeah. night. And then I was also doing stories for the local Fox affiliates across mm -hmm. the country. And Ernie and I met, whoa, well, oh, quite yeah. a few years ago yes. now. And um, we've always said we wanted to do something together. And here we are. You know, Joan, what's really important, and it's nice, uh, Joan, uh, we know each other really well. And Patricia and I have the same kind of relationship. We know our families. Uh, we support one another. And professionally, you know, we have a real tuned in feeling about what we do. So we're going to be doing positive news you can use, a lot of interviews, a lot of features. And, you know, to make the program really lively and exciting for people to watch and to listen. I keep saying watch because that's an old TV thing, isn't it's it? It's okay. <laughs> you know what? I always said they can see us on the radio. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> make sure to comb your hair and put on a good In their mind's eye. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's true. I can't tell you how many people say to me, you'll forgive me, but I do not listen to the radio or I don't turn on television anymore. Mm. I just can't take bad news. It's too much. And, and every TV show, they say, opens with a murder or a this mm -hmm. or that, like enough already. Sure. I want good news. We need to get through our days and feel hopeful. We do, Joan. Yeah, and no question got, about you it. You guys are doing it. Yeah, you know, I mean, the old line, I mean, I'd come on the air every night at 11 o'clock and say good evening and then t tell people why it, why it wasn't. And I said, you know what? Enough of this negativity. Uh, I deal with it. I deal with reality. Patricia, you and I feel the same way. We, we're not, we don't believe in censorship. We defend the right of free speech and expression. But there's a balance here, and that's what we're going to bring to the table. Yes. Balance. We have to bring positivity and hopefulness and a place to go to refill your cup and recharge your batteries yeah. with hearing what is going right and, and what is going well with humanity. And, mm -hmm. and that's really our goal. And that's why we're so excited that it's going to be on a Sunday evening. Yep. Because this is going to set the tone for people's week, leading into a new week, yep. kind of thinking about how can I start off my week with a more positive attitude mm -hmm. and gratitude and thinking what I can do that's going to be great yep. instead of worrying about all that's going wrong. And Joan, it's going to be a lively show because we're going to be doing some celebrity interviews. We're going to be doing call-ins, talking to people out there. Uh, we'll have some music on the air. And we'll also be giving people, you know, tips on a lot of different things they need to know about. Uh, our attitude is, okay, if there is a problem, if there is something going on, let's find a way to make it better. Let's find a solution to it. And I think that that's really important to people. Yeah, without question. 
and and they need to hear a warm and friendly voice. They don't need to be yelled at or mm-hmm. anything else. Are you both doing something really good? And you're having a good time as well. Yeah. I mean, we all know, Ernie, you've done television forever. Mm-hmm. But it's it's actually a different thing. In radio, you do become their intimate family. Yes. It's because if they can't see you, and you know, my theory is they can, but if they can't, you become everything they need in their lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's you very know? true. And, and you know, you heard Patricia's resume, you know, her, her background in, in television, but also in radio. Right. And I'm the same way. I started when I was a kid, 16 years old, back in my hometown as a radio announcer while I was in high school. So you learn about the intimacy of radio. And right now, the way we're talking, you know, you can hear yourself in your earphones and I can hear you and you can hear each other. And I'm saying, this is great. This is like really good, deep down, heart to heart conversation. Yeah, it is very intimate. And Joan, recently I learned a great lesson when it came to audio. I had published my first book, and then I was asked to record the audio version of it. Mm-hmm. And I worked with someone who coaches people for audiobooks, and that was a really big difference for me. I had to go back to my radio days, but also realize about how radio and how that voice and how audio mm-hmm. it really had to be uh, spoken very differently, sure. knowing that people were going to be listening to that in their ear pods mm-hmm. or, you know, laying in bed or driving in their car. Right, right. And it is such a warmer, closer, more conversational, yeah. softer and there's, type a, there's of animation too. Yes. You know, there's a little animation. You know, you use your voice that way. It's a God-given gift that we have to be able to do that. But you know, Maya Angelou said something that I, I always adhere to. People may not remember what you said or what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel. And this is all about feeling, Joan. That's what you've been doing for years and years, and you're still doing it. God bless you. And I think that's what it's important to, to understand that we're doing this thing because we love it, but we're trying to make people feel good. Yes. And I'm curious from both of you who are top professionals in the entertainment world, when we see the world evolving around us and changing and media is totally different, you know, go to any movie theater and you're probably the only one in it because they're all curled up on the couch, (laughs) you know, watching streaming or something else. How do you see the future of our industry? Mm, Good question. You know, I I would like to stay optimistic and positive because that's a natural way. I'm concerned because uh, we grew up in an era, all three of us, understanding how media was different. There were there were standards and practices that we adhere to. We had to be very careful about what we said and how we did it. And that's all changed with social media and and the plethora of, of outlets for information. And so now, you know, you look at that and you say, can it get better? Because we don't want to be negative, but, you know, there are a lot of things that, that are really uh, hurting our society by by all the negative kind of talk that you hear, both in social media, television, radio. Uh, it's changed dramatically from the more standard way that we grew up, you know, listening and watching to those shows. Mm-hmm. But I like to remain optimistic and say, OK, you know what? Let's make things better. We were just talking about yeah. that. OK, let's not let's let's not get into it's going to get worse. I think it can get better. If your voice and, and, and showing your voice and other people are out there saying, hey, come on, let's improve things. Yes. And I think, Joan, I think people reach a point of fatigue to where enough is enough. I once heard someone say, I want to be informed, but I don't want to be inundated. And I also don't want to be told how I should think. Give me information. Give me information that I can mm-hmm. use 
and that I can take and compare to other information and then make a decision. And I think that a lot of people are getting to that point where they feel inundated and they feel like they're being told how and what to think. Yeah. And I see that already changing and people are looking for different solutions mm-hmm. and different outlets to get better information. Yeah, there was a book out several years ago. It was called Information Anxiety. And it talked about how people really get so anxious because they don't know what to, to understand, what to believe, what to watch, what to listen to, what to read. And it's confusing and it creates an anxiety of, am I getting the truth? Am I getting the information? And it's too much. It's overload. And I think what we need to do is streamline that and help people out and say, okay, here's what's going on. Here's information for you. Uh, I think the future is going to be more tailored uh, programming. I think you're going to find organizations and groups and uh, networks who are going to say, this is what you like. Okay, we're going to create uh, the information tunnel for you and you can get the stories that you want to listen to. I think there's going to be a lot of that. I really yeah, do. I agree, Ernie. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting and that's certainly going to be worth watching for. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you, but people still need to trust the source of their information and their news. And we've become that source for so many people. Yes. And we have to honor that mm-hmm. and really understand what it takes. And it's not easy. Ernie, I remember when your kids, young kids, <laughs> and they wanted to be in the business. Yes, that's right. Are any of them doing this? Yeah, our, our daughter, Nina, uh, she ended up going up into the Albany area. And she started working as, a, as an anchor and did that. Now she's not doing it. She was working in radio for a while. Our son did a little bit of that, but he's in the franchise business. He has a, a group of Wendy's in the, in the Northeast area. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad either. But, you know, you, you, you think about the future and you think about what's out there. And I think we all want to say, I want to make it better. That's what we want to do. We want to make it better. Yes. And Joan, I teach as an adjunct professor at a, at a college in New York, St. Thomas Aquinas College, and I teach communications. And the group of students that I have give me so much hope. They are so positive about the future. They really have great ethics. We were talking one day about some topic where uh, some, it was a question on whether someone cheated on somebody and if that was okay. Everyone in that room mm-hmm. had an opinion on it about how important it was to be truthful and honest and not try to pull the wool over someone's yeah, eyes. Sure. And I looked at them all and I looked at them all in their 19 or 18 or 20 mm-hmm. years. And I thought, you know what? I think the future is going to be okay. <laughs> Good. I know. And that's very important. I also think an important message is if you don't succeed the first time mm-hmm. or even the second time, right. don't give up. Exactly. It. And really make a difference. And I think you have to fail at least once or twice. And all of us have had moments that we wish we hadn't have. Or, yes. Right? That something happened. Or, yeah. It's life. Step over it yeah. and just go on. We have to be the harbinger of hope. Joan, uh, we totally agree with you. Um, you know, there's a great line that says, every setback is a setup for a comeback. And I, I think like we have that. to look at that. Okay. And, and say, you know what? Uh, I'm not going to fall down and stay there. I'm going to get up. And that's what we have to do. One other thing, you talked about uh, our days at CVS together. Uh, Walter Cronkite, who was an amazing human being, most trusted man. You talk about trust, most trusted man in America. And Walter became sort of a a mentor. And I've talked about this with you, Patricia. What a great guy he was. And I remember Walter uh, was talking to me one day and he said, uh, you know, he had that great voice. Ernie, let me tell you this great story here now. And I said, yeah, Walter. 
And he said, Ernie, what we do, we are watchdogs. We're not attack dogs and we're not lap dogs. We're watchdogs. Mm. We put the information out there and we bark and we let people decide what they want to do. That's our job. And so, you know, many times you get into the, the, the philosophy today of, is it news or views? And people have to understand the difference. If you're giving your an opinion, it's okay, but make sure they understand that and they don't treat it as if it's the news, it's the facts. We got to be careful with truth. That's a big subject right now. We could talk for a long time about that. Uh, what has happened to truth and we have to protect it. Yeah. Yes. I, I love that phrase though, about being watchdogs, mm-hmm. watching and then disseminating information yes. and letting everyone decide for themselves. Yeah. That's a big job that we have and it's a big responsibility and we have to take that thing seriously. Yeah. Well, and there are so many uh, with politics today and candidates who even some have won who are crooks and the, I mean, what happened Mm. to our great country? We can't allow this. We've got to hold to standards that have kept America the number one country in the Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Standards uh, and practices. If you remember, um, I mean, these were big departments at the network. They had a whole department that would deal with that making yeah. sure that the information, uh, the, the TV shows, correct. absolutely, it, it had to be accurate, had to be ter- correct, and also even the television programming, okay? And, and this is really going way back, but to the Ozzie and Harriet days. I mean, it, there was a certain tone to it. Do I want to deal with reality? Yes. Has the world changed? Uh, ha- has society changed? We have to adjust to that. But at the same time, let's be civil. Let's be respectful of one another. Those things, in my opinion, never go out of style. Yeah, it's true. I think that we've lost uh, the ability to respectfully mm-hmm. disagree mm-hmm. with each other. And why? Why is that? And to be able to get back to that civility that you're talking about and yeah. be able, communication is key. If we stop communicating, mm-hmm. we're all sunk. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And, and that's what we do, Joan. It's what you do and uh, Patricia and I are doing. We're, we're the conduits, you know, and we're the ones that are protecting uh, the integrity of our business and information. And, and I think that's a wonderful challenge for all of us. I love it. I love it. I do. And I love the idea of putting a positive spin on things, looking mm-hmm. for solutions. Yes, you mentioned we're going to tackle some hard issues and some tough news of the day, but always from the perspective of, okay, but how can we look at it differently? Mm-hmm. What is the solution? What can make it better? How can we flip the perspective and be optimistic and not pessimistic about what's yeah. ahead? Yeah. Right. And have respect for those we have elected, whether we voted for them or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, respect is a huge word, and it's something we all need more of everywhere. Without question. This is where we use our talent, Joan. Uh, it was a great comment. I think, I think it was Irma Bombeck who once said, when I die and I face God, uh, I want to say uh, I have nothing left. I've used all the talent you gave me. And that's what we want to do. Yes. That's good. Well, I have faith that the two of you are going to do it and people can listen to this new show. We're so excited to have it at WABC on Sunday night at five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Thank you and congratulations to the both of you. Say hello to the family, Ernie. Congratulations Patricia. to you too, Joan. Let's just take 30 seconds because Patricia and I both feel this, this love and respect for you. You are. I mean, such an icon, really, in the, in the industry, but particularly in New York City. People know your name, they respect your name, and your, the talent that you've given to everyone, and your beautiful family, uh, your daughter Liz, your son John, and your, your husband Skip, terrific people. And, and we honor you today by being on this program, okay? Uh, thank you for honoring us.
Yes, thank you so much, Joan. And it's it really, you're loved by all. I've never heard anyone say anything Yay. but wonderful things about you. <laughs> well, thank you. Come by the studio and say hello. Enjoy the rest of the day. And we are the lucky ones to have you both. Thanks, Joan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye-bye, guys. Bye-bye. A great show. And they make you feel good. And isn't that a nice thing? All right, everyone. Enjoy their show Sundays, as I mentioned. You can hear them at 5 o'clock. And stay with us all day on the best radio station in America, WABC. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I have introduced you to urban archaeologist Joan Geismar in the past. She's had a lot of adventures looking under the sidewalks of New York City and finding some amazing things. And there's a lot that goes on in the building industry, the construction industry, archaeologists, researchers. So I wanted, I haven't checked in with Joni in terms of what's going on in quite a while. So I thought it was time to take you on um, what she calls herself, a garbologist romp through the city, <laughs> uptown and downtown. So, Joan Geismar, you've had more than your share of discoveries from a ship in the South Street Seaport to what was once thriving community in this area. So let's first talk about an urban archaeologist to remind people what you do. Joni, I'm so glad you put it that way because I was thinking... You know, people hear archaeology and they think treasure and they think of Egypt and they think of Greece and they think of all and Mexico and all these wonderful places, which are indeed wonderful. But I'd like to explain a little bit of, about what I actually do. And I am an archaeologist and I am a garbologist. My husband is right. Um, I don't have long digs like if I were uh, if, if I were in a school and I were an academic, I might have a long dig that goes on for years. This is very almost down and dirty. And the re- that's almost a pun, actually. But the reason, actually it is a pun, but the reason for this is because we don't choose our sites. As an urban archaeologist, I don't go and say, oh, this looks wonderful. I'm sure there's something here that we can find. We are sort of confined to where there is going to be disturbance, and if where there is disturbance is going to happen, is it because of a new uh, sewer line? Is it because of a new building that comes under environmental review? We don't just go out every time there's a building or every time there's something. It has to, there has to be a reason for that project to come under environmental review, possibly because they need a permit or whatever. 
And that's when an urban archaeologist comes in. And that's when research comes in. Like, what was on that site before? Sometimes it is under a sidewalk. More likely it's under a parking lot, or um, which, by the way, parking lots are terrific because they really do keep things forever until they're disturbed. But it depends upon what's happening and what law has been... What No, I know what law it is. It's the environmental law, but... Is there a chance there could be archaeology? And that's when um, agencies uh, chip in or come in and say archaeology has to be considered. And once it's considered, a great deal of research has to be done. What was on that site before it was a parking lot or a sidewalk? And what has happened over time? And that's where the research comes in. And I find that, Joni, that's just as exciting to me almost anyway, as the act of discovery in the ground, because you find so much. What you see now is not what used to be, and that's true throughout. Even the city itself is not what it used to be. It used to be uh, rivers and, and streams and hills, and, and it isn't that way basically anymore. But once we discover that there could be something there, then we have to determine how it is going to be affected by what the project is. Is the line, the new sewer line going just where there might be something or not? And if it's or not, then nothing has to be done. But if it can be something that will be affected, that's where archaeology comes in. And the amazing thing to me is what we have found, given the constrictions that we have, the restrictions and constrictions that we have of where we can dig. And um, I've had some fabulous projects, as, as you know, I have told you over time, and I continue to be excited by it. Uh, for example, one project was Washington Square Park. Well, you did mention my ship, and someone said my ship came in, and I loved mm -hmm. that. That was my very first dig, and I pointed to the backhoe operator where, where, he, where we should dig to see how deep landfill was on this block in the South Street Seaport. And I pointed, and I said, how about there, Fred? And Fred started digging, and the dirt fell away, and we found wood, and it turned out to be the midsection of a 100-foot a merchant vessel from 1717 that had been pulled in to do to, to structure the landfill, you know, that used to be part of the East River. That was unbelievable. My very first dig as a what uh, as the, the head of that dig, so to right. speak. Right, and what happened to that ship? Well, it was documented. It wasn't all on the block. Some of it is still under Front Street in, in Lower Manhattan. And um, every every board, every everything that was on that block was taken out and photographed and measured and um, has been swimming in polyethylene glycol, as far as I know, down in Newport News, Virginia. And it would be terrific. But not the whole ship. Just the, just mm -hmm. the hull, just the uh, just the um, the bow, not the hull, just the bow, and that could be reconstructed theoretically and would be a fantastic exhibit. It's waiting. It's been waiting. It's been waiting for thirty yeah. years. But, but let but me ask you: If I decided I wanted to build something, and it was in an area like I don't know, how did they know that that area might have something worth doing? Is it a big deal to do that? Well, it's, it's not. You say, how do they know? First of all, the environmental review process, ha which came in in 1978, before that you could virtually destroy anything. But that environmental review came in then. And so with that review, if that review gets uh, triggered, then you have to, the, the client, the person who's doing whatever building or whatever, has to consider whether 
certain things can be harmed, like uh, the air, the water, the traffic, the, the everything, and the archaeology. And uh, that's when that gets triggered. And as I always say, I'm always fascinated by how much we learn when that is so prescribed. You know, you just can't go anywhere. And um, if you were to build a, a house, let's say, and it was on, well, in Manhattan, you'd have to be crazy. But anyway, let's say you're building a house in Manhattan or a building. A bit, let's make it grander, a building that you have to go through all kinds of, you have to get permits. And those permits help determine whether archaeology is even considered. But I thought of you when I was in the South Street area recently, which has become like a big shopping mall. Mm -hmm. And there's so much construction and building, whether it's condos, co-ops, um, food courts. It's amazing. They're building all over the place there. And you would think that would be a no-no. It's not a no-no. I mean, the thing is that archaeology doesn't usually stop anything. It's just it has to be addressed before they can move forward. The, the, the ship stopped nothing. The ship and the 310,000 artifacts that we collected stopped nothing. Wow. There's a building on that site. But you see, the, the difference is that everything has been documented. There are those 310,000 artifacts, and um, they're, they're forever. I mean, they're up in the New York State Museum, and they can be researched by others. They can look at those and find things that I never found about those, those uh, artifacts. So the difference is that it doesn't stop it, but you have to document it. And that's what urban archaeologists do. Now, sometimes it can stop it, like the, the uh, African burial ground. That did stop. That, had, that was envi an environmental review issue, and that did stop because of what it was, but it took a long time for it to stop. You know, it didn't just happen overnight. So it can stop things, but it's rare. Usually, you dig it up, you document it, and so it's there's over. at least a record, and then it's over. Yes, which is did sad, you, but at least yeah. it gets documented. Yeah. Do you ever find bodies... Yes, one finds bodies, especially if one has to do something in a cemetery, right. but um, <laughs> which can happen. Um, and occasionally you do find, uh, well, what we deal with a lot is called landfill. And landfill means that uh, material has been brought in from all over. And sometimes that material does include um, human remains. Not often, not often burials, but human remains, you know, a part of a human body. But it also includes animal remains and broken pottery and broken, you know, broken so, glass. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. But, of course, if, a, if human remains are found, then that triggers yet another kind of review where you have experts come in and determine what you're looking at, not just a bone necessarily, but if you should come upon a burial, which could happen, which does happen. And how and often do you find a, the remnants of a community? How often do you find a remnant of a community? The remnants of a community or a village or, or a place that really existed and thrived and is no more. Well, that happened in Saratoga Square in Brooklyn, which was a thriving, uh, now called the Saratoga Square, that, uh, that was a thriving German community in the mid-19th century and uh, now has been rebuilt and is a, is a whole different thing. But um, that was a, a, a past, and we did research there and, and found interesting things. We found old uh, 
Actually, what we didn't find were privies, which I expected to find. A privy would have been the outhouse because there was no plumbing, which makes you have to think, what did people do for their sanitary, what was a sanitary uh, procedure in a, in a village like that, which was very interesting. But one remnant of a little village like that was a place called Weeksville, which was not little, also in Brooklyn. It was a, a community of free blacks that went back to 1835, free African-Americans, and it was a thriving community. And there's a remnant of it at a place called, well, now the Weeksville Heritage Center. But they were the Hunterfly Road houses, four little houses that don't don't align with the street uh, the, the street um, grid that it, that is now. It was on an old road called Hunterfly Road. And those houses have been saved and um, and been not reconstructed. Well, one house was reconstructed, but they have been renovated, and they're part of something called the Weeksville Heritage Center. And I worked on that project, and it was extremely interesting to see. First of all, it established that the houses were not occupied as early as was believed historically. That was found out through archaeology. But it's still a fantastic place that functioned until, well, into the 1960s, actually. Joni, I love what I do because the act of discovery, as I said, is so exciting to see, to set the history straight. History is funny. It's somebody's point of view. But with archaeology, with archaeology, you have uh, you have concrete. Well, I shouldn't use the word concrete, but you have something that actually tells you what people ate, what they what they what they drank from, what their dishes were like, what they threw away, what they bought and what they kept. It was just, it, it's there, it's in the ground, and it's wonderful to be able to document it. It's, it's, it's another kind of history. It's a very real history and actually basically a true history. And Did I, you ever work on the Lower East Side or very old neighborhoods in New York City? Yes, I was the archaeologist for the Lower East Side Tenement Museum when it was being formed. And that, too, was very exciting. That went back to 1863, I believe, and I expected it to have a privy, which is an outdoor a sanitary facility when there were no, uh, when there were no, there, sorry, when there was no plumbing. But it turns out there was a research show that there was a sewer in the street and they had something somewhat primitive, but very much a, a step above a, uh, an outdoor privy pit. And they did have water that swept away human waste. But it was a very, it was a big surprise to find what was called a school sink behind the uh, south, behind the um, tenement museum in their backyard, and it still it was still there. That was not archaeological. The archaeological uh, artifacts were not as fascinating as some, but interesting because again, it was a mixed bag, which makes it interesting. You'd have a credit card right next to a very old piece of a dish, but the fact that this this uh, sanitary feature, which had four compartments, you know, four. Uh, compartments, I can only leave it that way, um, was once the sanitary um, facility for that building until they put, uh, when, the, when they did take advantage of the, you know, the, the um, plumbing. increased plumbing, yeah, well, the, the improved plumbing, so to speak, and there was a toilet on every floor, uh, just one on every floor. But so that, again, was a, basically a step up. But that was extremely interesting to find, not what I expected, but something a little more interesting, actually. Yeah. Are there yeah. any neighborhoods that you're looking at now or that they're thinking of um, testing what might be there? 
Uh, not that I know of, but there are other people doing what I do, and they probably know about it. Right now, I'm very much involved in a lot of parks projects where they're putting in new infrastructure. And because it's a public park and some of them are uh, landmarks, they do have to consider archaeology. And that's, if that takes me back to Washington Square Park, which was fantastic. I did a study, and I knew where there could be things such as, well, the major issue was, Two-thirds of it had been a burial ground at the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century. And it was a potter's field. And the question was, were, those, were the bodies in that potter's field always uh, thought to be at 20,000? It's amazing. Every cemetery that gets covered is thought to have 20,000 bodies. But anyway, that's another issue. But it was a, it was a cemetery. And were there, any, were there any remains left in that cemetery? Were there any burials? So that was a very important part of that project of the renovation of Washington Square Bar- Park about 10 years ago and a little less than 10 years ago. And it turned out, yes, there are bodies there and they will remain. Mm. What happens when you do find other cemeteries and they've been, you know, no one even knew they were there or long deserted? Do people come in and notify or how do they even get to families whose loved ones are there? Well, that can be an issue when there are no records for the cemetery, and that often does happen. But then if you do, if a cemetery is found, it does have to be preserved or, or, or it has to be addressed and preserved. But um, it's, it's complicated. That would be a very complicated issue. For example, at Washington Square Park, there were burials. Well, we don't know, you know who was buried there. But the interesting thing is we do know uh, some because one of the findings, when when standing over and watching where uh, 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 where they were going to put in uh, a feature, and so I was watching because they were digging, there was a, a gravestone revealed, the gravestone of James Jackson. I've mentioned him before, I think, when I've spoken, Joni, but it was so fantastic to find this very lovely, small um, a stone me- memorial to a man who died in 1799 and obviously had the money or uh, the backing to have a, a, um, a headstone and yet he was in a potter's field and research indicated it was because he had died of yellow fever in 1799 and at that time yellow fever which occurred every summer was a scourge that they thought was uh, uh, um, could be caught you know, and transmitted. So everyone, anyone who died of of yellow fever at that time had to be buried in the potter's field because it was outside the city at the time. So did you find other um, bodies or you let it go? We found evidence of burials where they were going to dig very Mm -hmm. often. And and in that case, they moved where they were going to dig. And then we watched where they dug then, and it was all okay. So they put what they had to put in, which at one point it was a a holding tank for water for the... the, um, Park. Not for the block, but for for the the fountain that's in Washington Mm -hmm. Square Park. But they had to keep finding a place where there were no burials. They had to keep looking, I should say. And they did find it. So, but it, it, it was extremely interesting because the history of the park changed based on what was found archaeologically. I love changing well, history and making it right, as right yeah. as it can be. So, Well, it sounds very exciting, I'm sure. It is, Joni. I've been doing it for years, and I still love it. And the act, as I said, the act of discovery in the records and in the ground is both right. so e- almost equally forever. exciting. Yep. 
Thank you, Joan Geismar, who's an urban archaeologist and one of the leading ones in New York City and knows more than most people about what you're walking on (laughs) and who's there. It's very exciting because the city has many lives and archaeologists find them and reveal them to us. All the best to you, Joan Geismar. We'll talk again. Thank you, Joni. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WAVC, more straight ahead. The First Lady of New York Radio, this is Ask Joan. I recently got a call from a listener who said, are they still giving away tickets to TV shows? I'd love to go to some of the tapings. Well, get a pencil, get a pen, sit at your computer or iPad, because let me give you a site to start with, nycgo.com. That's going to be your step in getting free tickets. So nycgo.com, this is a really good website. You'll get information on standby shows like The Daily Show, um, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Late Night, with Seth Meyers, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Saturday Night Live, all the stuff you want. The Today Show, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, The View, and a lot of others. And that simple site, nycgo, undercaps.com, and that basically is the website for NYC and Company, the official marketing organization for the five boroughs of New York. And you can get all the information you need about activities and offerings. I found a page with collectible links on how to get free tickets to live TV shows. And I found it by going on to nycgo.com and typing in the search area, get free tickets to live TV shows. So you'll get all the information And it's very, very easy. So I looked up, I wanted to see Seth Meyers. I really like him, he's funny. His tickets are generally booked four to six weeks in advance. You've gotta be 16 or older. You can't attend more than one show taping every four months. And it gives you a collectible link, collectible, you know, click right to the website for tickets. It takes you to the ticket calendar where you'll see the dates, the closed dates, the sold out dates, and you can apply for up to four tickets for open dates directly. If it's accepted, you'll get an email with instructions for confirming your e-ticket. It will even give you the phone number for late night, 212-664-3056. So, I can't do more than that. And standby tickets for Late Night with Seth Myers are given out for that day's shows starting at 9 a.m. So go to the lobby early at 30 Rock. One ticket to people 16 and older with a photo ID. Do not forget that ID. Standby cards do not guarantee admission, but the chance is pretty good. So again... What you really need is nycgo.com. You'll get tons of information and you can be part of a live TV audience. I did that once 
for Late Night, and it was a lot of fun. So go for it.